Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is very nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what, they, what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. This morning, as we think about the life of Jesus and we think about the death of Jesus and we think about the resurrection of Jesus, something that stands out to me so that the resurrection is not the end of the story. In, in the Gospels, we oftentimes think of the resurrection as, as this moment in which Jesus has now done what he's come to do, and that's good, and now it's, it's all on the disciples, the apostles, those who will carry on the ministry of Jesus. But over and over and over again, Jesus shows up. And what I find interesting about this is that when Jesus shows up, he, he shows up to the people that you might most expect, but also to those that you would least expect. It makes sense to me that he would show up to the women who appear at the tomb early on Easter morning, the, the resurrection Sunday. It makes sense to me because, you know, you're going you're gonna to want to be there for the people that have come to see you. For whatever reason, they're drawn to the tomb. Of course, we know that they're drawn partly to prepare the body of Christ, that hasty preparation had been made because of the Sabbath for his body, and now they've come to complete the things that need to be completed. And so when Jesus appears to these three, it makes sense to me. They're there. They're proximate to the location of the big event. The interesting thing about this particular account from Matthew with the, the women showing up is that they encounter an angel before they encounter Jesus. The angel's given them instruction to go and tell the disciples what's happened, but before they even have the opportunity to do so, Jesus shows up and confirms for them the good news. There could be some suspicion in their mind that like, okay, we got it from the angel, but we still haven't seen the body. And Jesus gives them the affirmation that they need. There's this phrase, they were afraid and filled with joy. They were afraid 
and filled with joy. Have you ever had those mixed emotions in yourself? Fear and joy, like, intertangled with one another? The resurrection of Jesus before the encounter of Jesus himself fills these women with fear and joy. Maybe it's joy about the possibility. Maybe it's fear that they've been misled. But either way, Jesus meets them in their fear and joy. He shows up and provides them with some assurance. He shows up to Mary Magdalene, of course. We've, we've read this in previous years for our Easter service. And he shows up and he comforts her. Woman, why are you crying? He asks her that question twice. Woman, why are you crying? And then he provides her the greatest comfort that he possibly can, an answer to the question, where they have taken him. They haven't taken him anywhere. I'm right here. A great comfort to her. We have these disciples on the road to Emmaus who don't recognize Jesus. There's a lot of speculation about why they don't recognize him. Maybe it's because after the crucifixion, bearing the scars of crucifixion on his body, he's unrecognizable. But the interesting thing about it is that Jesus walks through with them the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures on this long, slow journey, explaining to them, it always had to be this way. This is how it had to be. This is what scripture was always leading to. Another account that we end up having in scripture is the the account of Jesus right after meeting with these fellows, sitting amongst the apostles and he asks for the broiled fish, right? Like there's these little evidences that he offers to them. See my hands, see the the wound here in my side. Uh, he, He broke bread. He, you know, did all these little things. But the broiled fish to me is such a very specific and intimate detail of this meeting with Jesus in the upper room. We witnessed him eat. This wasn't just an apparition. The food was there and then he ate it in our presence. He provided us relief from our doubts. That word doubt actually gets thrown around several times in the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. People are optimistic and hopeful, but doubtful because the news just seems a little too good. Jesus provides them evidence in their doubts. He shows up for them in their doubts. When it wasn't enough for Thomas to hear the accounts of the other disciples, Jesus shows up for him. This is a painting by Rembrandt, and I love the expression on Thomas's face here. He's like, whoa, hold on a second. He's like taken aback, right? Uh, it's, uh, I also think it's interesting that Thomas is painted as this really old man. I don't know if that's, you know, in keeping with what we see in Scripture, But there's this surprise when Jesus offers him, touch my hands and see the wound in my side. He doesn't need all of the evidence that Jesus offers. He's satisfied with what he's seen. Jesus goes above and beyond. He shows up for Thomas in these doubts. I love the story of Jesus on the seaside calling out to them and encouraging them for the second time in some cases to catch some fish by casting their nets on the other side. 
And they have this miraculous catch. And when they know, because they've seen this story play out before, Peter jumps overboard, doing the wrong thing. Don't put more clothes on when you're going to jump in the water because that's a sure way to drown. He jumps in the water and tries to get to shore. And of course, he's the last one to shore, just like he was the last one to the tomb. I think John is poking fun at Peter here. He gets to the shore realizing it's Jesus. And then Jesus feeds them. He sits with them and he talks with them. He provides Peter with some restoration. Jesus shows up for the disciples on the seaside at their workplace for some of these guys. When I think about these ways in which Jesus showed up, to me it is just such a a beautiful image of a Jesus who's not done after the resurrection. Jesus doesn't wash his hands of the people that have followed him and disappear. We have accounts of him, of course, giving them the Great Commission, and he tells them, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I mentioned this morning that Paul shares in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that so many had seen the resurrected Jesus. He says, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That's good news. That he was buried. That's good news. That he was raised on the third day. That's good news. In accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some, some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul wants us to know that Jesus wasn't done with the resurrection. His great work, the thing that saves us, that brings us the possibility of eternal life, that was complete. But he knew that we would need him still. Jesus promises the gift of his spirit, his spirit. He gives it to the apostles. He gives it to those who are baptized throughout the book of Acts. Over and over again, the the apostles remind us that the Spirit dwells in God's people, that he has made us a holy temple, a sanctuary, that he dwells among us. Because Jesus continues to show up. And this morning, I want to encourage you to remember that the reason Paul knows about the story of the 500 who encountered Jesus, about Cephas, Peter, experiencing the resurrected Jesus, about the 11 experiencing Jesus in the upper room, about Thomas experiencing Jesus and having his doubts alleviated, about Mary experiencing Jesus in the garden, about the women going and seeing him on the first day of the week, is because they told the story of when Jesus showed up. Sometimes at the direct command of Jesus, go and tell what you have seen. 
But in any case, the reason we know that Jesus shows up is because others have shared it with us. Following our service today, we're going to have a coin A. It's going to be here in the auditorium. The kids are going to have a class downstairs. But we're going to have a time of testimony. Nicole Clark is going to share with us how Jesus showed up for her. And Nicole has a unique story. It's her own story. But Nicole is not unique in having had Jesus show up for her. I think if we ask everyone in this room this morning who has a faith in Christ, when has Jesus shown up for you? We'd have a story. And we need to hear one another's stories. We need to recount those stories for ourselves because I am positive that over the years, Peter had to tell his own story to himself again and again. He had to tell it to others again and again. In moments of weakness and doubt, I'd imagine when Paul is sitting in prison singing the songs of resurrection, it is to remind himself that Jesus shows up. To not forget what he is about, who he is, and most importantly, who showed up for him. And so I want to encourage you this morning as we think about the resurrection of Christ to remember that there are a lot of ways that Jesus shows up for us. And as we prepare to take communion together, I'm going to encourage you to do that this morning, I want you to think about what it is that we're doing. We are remembering the resurrection. We are remembering the death. We are remembering the life of Jesus. But we believe as Christians, that when we share in communion with one another, Jesus shows up. That he's present in this moment with us. When we gather together, Jesus tells us, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will also be. In our communion and our fellowship, Jesus shows up. He shows up for us in our doubts and our fears and our joy he shows up for us in our workplace. He shows up for us when we're at the tomb early in the morning. Morning. He shows up for us when we're crying. He shows up for us when we make foolish choices like jumping into the water with all of our clothes on. Jesus shows up. I want to encourage you this morning to think about how Jesus has shown up for you. I want to encourage you to consider sharing that story with somebody. We need to hear it. Everyone in this room needs to hear how Jesus has shown up for us. But our neighbors need to hear it. We may not be 500 people sitting in this room this morning, but if every Christian that we're sitting here could offer a testimony about the ways that Jesus had shown up for us, it would be undeniable the impact he has on our lives. The best testimony we have to the resurrection of Christ is sharing how he's shown up for us. Let's go to God in prayer as we prepare to take communion with one another. Jesus, we thank you for being present in our assembly this morning, and we pray in your name to the Father that we would be blessed in our fellowship that we would see in the faces of our brothers and sisters the face of Christ. 
that we would see how when they love and serve us well and we love and serve them well, that Jesus is very much alive and present in our midst. And Father, we are thankful for the testimony of the apostles. We are thankful for the testimony of the disciples. We are thankful for the testimony of the 500. We are thankful for the testimony of the church throughout history that has said Jesus continues to show up. And this morning as we participate in communion, as we take the bread that we're about to share, help us to remember that Jesus is present here now. It's all this that we pray in his name. Amen. Also coming from 1 Corinthians, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. And he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. I want you to think about that for just a moment. When we participate in communion with one another, we're remembering the resurrection of Christ, his body, his blood. We're remembering the death of Christ. But we're also pro proclaiming that we believe in the resurrection. Not just a one-time event, but something that happens for all those who perish in Christ to be raised from the dead. This is why Paul actually uses the language of fall asleep. He wants it to be really clear that this is a temporary situation, that death is a temporary situation for those who have faith in Christ, that it is not something that continues unendingly. He chooses this fall asleep language because it's sometimes really difficult for ourselves to get past the finality of death. But most of us, when we go to sleep, we plan on waking up again. And Paul tells us, Jesus rose from the dead, which is why we have the assurance that death is not final. And as we take the, the cup this morning, I want us to remember that what Paul is telling us He's telling us because he's heard it firsthand. He's heard it from the witnesses, and he himself has experienced the resurrected Christ. This morning, as we take the blood, as we take the cup, as we remember Jesus' death, we also remember 
that death did not have the final word. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the offering that you have given to us, an offering of eternal life, a promise that death does not get the final say. We take great joy in the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus because we know that death is not the end. And Father, we are thankful that those who have fallen asleep before us await the resurrection. They await the eternal life that you have promised them. And Father, we pray with expectation that we might have joy in the knowledge that the resurrection, the resurrection is true. Thank you for the witness that has been offered. Thank you for Jesus showing up for us so that we might proclaim the resurrection as well. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So as we kind of come to the end of our service time this morning,